welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. I wanted to take a moment and thank those of you who have left a rating or a review of this podcast in iTunes. We appreciate that so much because every one of those ratings and reviews helps raise our profile in the search engines and makes it easier for other hurting moms and dads to find the podcast. So thank you. We appreciate it. About six weeks after Hannah went to heaven, I attended my first and nearly my last grief support group meeting. I actually drove about an hour and a half from home for this meeting, and I was scared to death. We sat in a circle, and our first task was to go around the room and share our stories. By the time it came around to me, all I could choke out was, pass. I literally could not speak the words aloud that my daughter had died. I left that meeting more depressed than I was when I arrived, and here's why. A few... Not all of those people, as they shared their story, said something similar to this. It's been 10 years since my child died, and it has never gotten any better. Or, it hurts just as much today as it did the day my child died. I was so upset all the way home. How was I possibly going to live the rest of my life this way? If it wasn't going to get any better, my husband might as well just bury me now, because I was done. But deep inside, deep down in my heart, I knew that wasn't true. I knew that God was a good God and that He would never leave me stuck where I was in this pit of grief. He tells us in His Word that He came to give us life and life more abundantly in John 10.10, and I believe that to be true. John chapter 5 tells the story of a man in need of healing from the Lord. It's familiar to many of us, and if you've been watching The Chosen, this story is beautifully illustrated in Season 2, Episode 4. Let's pick up the story in verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Now, that's a strange question, isn't it? Of course he wanted to be healed. He'd been sick or he hadn't gotten any better in 38 years. Back to verse 7. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. So yes, he did want to be healed. But no matter how hard he'd tried, he'd been unable to get better on his own. He didn't have anyone who could help him, and he couldn't do it himself. He had probably given up any hope of ever getting better. But what did Jesus say? Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus didn't say, here, let me help you get into the water. He didn't say, well, good luck to you, keep trying, maybe someday you'll make it. He didn't say, oh well, it is what it is, you need to learn to live with it. No, instead he told the man to do the impossible. He asked the man to take an action that he was clearly incapable of doing on his own. But in that moment, he gave the man the ability to do it. He also told him to take up his bed, indicated that he wasn't going to need it anymore. He wasn't going back to that place again. 
and he told the man to walk, clearly indicating that he was to move forward from there. Isn't that amazing? Can you see how that relates to us lying helpless on our beds of grief? He's reaching out his hand saying, do you want to be healed? Sometimes there's a measure of comfort in staying where we are. We become familiar with the pain. It becomes like a friend to us, and we feel that it keeps us connected to our child. And in a sense, it does. But here's a quote from Nancy Guthrie that I think is so true. Your love for your child is not defined by the level of your ongoing misery. Of course, we will always have a very tender place inside that hurts deeply. We will miss our children until the day we're reunited with them in heaven. But must we live in misery for the rest of our lives? I don't believe that's what God wants for any of us. But we must take the initiative. In Matthew twelve thirteen, Jesus tells the man with the withered hand to stretch out your hand. When he did so, his hand was healed, but he had to take the initiative to stretch out his hand. In the devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers, he says, The remarkable thing about spiritual initiative is that the life and power comes after we get up and get going. God does not give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. I believe that abundant life is possible after child loss. It's different, to be sure, from what we once thought an abundant life would represent. But there's so much more than lying on a bed of grief for 38 years like that gentleman in our story. Because of Jesus, and as he gives us the ability to do it, we can pick up our beds and take a few trembling steps forward. Yes, we'll certainly stumble backwards from time to time. And there may be days when the best we can do is just lean forward. But it helps to remind ourselves that we are not leaving our children behind as we move forward. Our children are ahead of us, not behind us. And that makes all the difference. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and, and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting. <music>